1: Welcome to another episode of Off the Clock, a podcast made the Johnsonville way. I am Joe Horsmeyer, and today, for the first time ever, you're hearing it here, ladies and gentlemen, we have the one and only Kayla Miller, who is a new guest host of Off the Clock. Yeah. Kayla, would you mind telling our listening audience who you are and what do you do at Johnsonville?
0: For sure. So, yeah, Kayla Miller. i uh, been here three, almost four years. That'll be four years, January 2023. Um, and I am the, if you look on the grill, I am the special events coordinator. Uh, but I prefer the term uh, member appreciation coordinator. Just trying to find different ways to show members appreciation um, and work on celebrating our successes and stuff more.
1: Okay. Well, I'm really honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I was walking through the cube farm. And I was like, Kayla, what are you doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I am working busily, but Joe, do you need help with something? And I said, ooh, I don't want to stop you. I don't want to. But I drug her in here, and now she's uh, she's on the podcast. But, Kayla, while it's awesome to have you here, we are actually not here to talk to you specifically.
0: Not this time. Not
1: well, <laughs> You will be on another one, yes. But uh, today we have someone else who has... An excellent story, um, a young man by the name of William Prots. So, William. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Would you mind telling us what your on-the-clock story is? So uh, how long have you been at Johnsonville? What do you do, and what do you like most about Johnsonville?
2: Sure. Um, I've been here now for about four and a half years, okay. and I work at the Meadowside plant on lines one and two, which we call COEX. Okay. And I would say what I like the most is being able, working here and being able to live a comfortable life outside of here is my main. Achievement.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you came in to Johnsonville, have you worked at Meadowside the whole time?
2: The whole, t- I've been here the whole time. Okay, yeah.
1: great. And you're kind of, I mean, at Johnsonville, we're we're really big on you know people getting to that next level and and next um, event in their life type of thing. But um, for you, I mean, do you have any career aspirations that you're you're really trying to get to or anything? Or
2: um, this may come as a shock, but actually, I am perfectly content exactly where i am on the line working as a packaging member
1: you know what the reason i asked you that is because i was hoping you're gonna say that <laughs> because the the beautiful thing about johnsonville is while we will work with you to get to wherever you want to go not only at work but outside of work um you being okay with what you're doing is absolutely okay as well so i really appreciate that and and so do a bunch of other members here at johnsonville so it's great to hear that yeah William, thank you so much for your on-the-clock story. So let's get to the meat and potatoes. Why are we here today? So, okay. William, tell us, you, just in talking off mic, uh, you've done many things already. I mean, the main thing that I was told about is the fact that you're a revolutionary war reenactor. Correct. But in talking with you, it sounds like there's a lot more going on. So if you wouldn't mind, get us started as to kind of how you got to where you are today.
2: Sure. Uh, well, to start off, I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um and when I was about a sophomore, junior in high school, that's when we started talking with our guidance counselors about what do you think you want to do for the rest of your life. And um, at first I wasn't really sure. And uh, several buddies of mine were avid deer hunters that hunted farms, farmland in Mequon, Wisconsin, which is just north of Milwaukee. And I tagged along with him one time just to kind of see how it was, and we stopped at a small dairy farm. And I saw the cows out in the pasture, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, so at the end of the hunt, we went to up to the farmer to say thank you for letting us use the land, and I spoke up, and I said, hey, how do you milk a cow? And, uh, <laughs> he, and he said uh, – He where, got real excited, he huh? He did, he did. <laughs> he says, well, where are you from? I said, I'm from Milwaukee. He's like – why are you asking me this you know yeah. being born and raised in the city and i said i'm just curious i like to know how things work and uh, he said i'll tell you what why don't you come out tomorrow 6 a.m i'll show you all right and uh that was in 2002 i believe and ever since then i was hooked wow i became uh, a farmhand for him for about the, re- the rest of high school so the rest of two years um and then after that I was accepted into the University of Wisconsin-Platteville. Okay. Um I started out there studying in the School of Agriculture and during that time I also got I started working on another farm out there um to to get more experience, more knowledge and stuff like that. He had around 100, 150 cows at that time. Um and I worked Every day before class, went to class all day, and then milked again at night, Um, and I did that for all four years, Um, but unfortunately, um, my major switched from agriculture to history, which is where my true passion is. Okay. So, um, and then that's, I graduated in 2008 with a Bachelor of Arts in History. Wow. So... Yeah, I
1: gotta say, if I was to ever be a teacher, it would be a history teacher. That's just something, you know. Anytime a documentary's on, or you know, someone's talking about the past in general, sure. I love it. I mean, if you don't learn from the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Right. So mm-hmm. here we are. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> so you, um, y- you you graduated, and then then you wanted to be a, a reenactor, or well, what is that Well, well, so
2: I I actually started reenacting with my father when I was two. so i had been doing historical reenactments all throughout my childhood traveling all over the country okay um with my family and we went to all different historic sites all over the midwest all over the east coast canada down south Um, we we were very busy um but when i started getting more heavily involved in dairy farming that cut out reenacting drastically Sure. Um, with the with the demand of milking cows and stuff yeah. like that my goal at that time was to raise my own cows on my own farm okay um, but in 2008 when the recession hit uh, it was a bad time for everybody and i ended up having to sell all my cows and what little equipment that i had obtained at that time um, and I decided to take a break, and I moved to Virginia. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I, I landed a job um, at Colonial Williamsburg. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Colonial Williamsburg. I've, I've heard, heard of it. Of it. Yeah, <laughs> But it's, <Jinx>. a, it's <laughs> a, a well-known it's, – it's, I believe it's the biggest living history museum in the country. And what I mean by living history is a lot of reenactors will consider themselves living historians – as opposed to just reenactors. But the ones that call themselves living historians are the ones that are actually employed doing this kind of stuff day after day. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I lucked out, though. So the job itself was actually in the livestock department at (laughs) Colonial Williamsburg.
0: Best of both worlds. So it
2: was. It was kind of cool. So I got to work with the the cattle, sheep, horses. um, They had some swine there and some poultry. So I did that. And then I also got my history fix, where I got to dress up as an 18th century farmer, right, right, and walk the streets of Colonial Williamsburg, talking about chickens and sheep, wow, oxen, man. stuff That's like so that. Cool. So what year around was this that you
3: were, you were doing? This?
2: That well, I graduated Platteville in spring of 2008, yeah. and. I believe it was one or two days after I graduated, I packed the truck up. My there, goodness. And I moved out there. Good for so, you.
1: So how long did you do that?
2: I was out there for just under a year. Okay. And what ended up happening was, to be honest, it's, it's too hot there. Okay. <laughs> it's just too hot. And Wisconsinite through and through. Yeah. So yeah. it, I, would, I just could not handle the heat well. Uh-huh. And uh, around February, March of 2009, I got a call from a friend of mine that knew a farmer in Ozaki County that was looking for help okay so I long story short I ended up moving back to Wisconsin to work for this farm in Ozaki County Mm -hmm. Um, and then that's where the remainder of my career was up until I came to Johnsonville in 2018 okay
0: and how many cows did that farm have
2: overall including young stock and milking cows we had about 2,000 cows Wow.
0: wow. So quite the big difference from the one that you had while you were Right,
1: yeah. How long does it take to milk all those cows?
2: Well, it was a 24-hour operation. Oh, man. And <laughs> basically the all the cows were divvied up into different groups. Okay. And then each group had an, allot, a, an allotted time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as a milker, we had to make sure that we kept up the pace for each group. Otherwise, we'd fall behind, which would then push back our sanitation process and stuff like that yeah so it was i mean it was a it was a pretty big deal yeah i mean getting all those cows through there and probably had about 20 25 employees overall mm-hmm. so working with all the different departments on the farm wow
1: that's so. amazing that's one thing that you know we, we've got kind of a super farm uh, down by where i grew up in random lake and and growing up i worked on a a well, at the beginning it was a milking farm and then it was more of a cattle farm and then a cattle trucking business and all the things. Um, but like you you just think of farming as this kinda little little type of operation. But when you get into the, the levels that you're talking about, I mean it's a full fledged operation. Correct. It's yep. just like running a factory almost. Almost, mm-hmm. yeah. But but with live animals, right. you know. So wow, that is something else. Um so can we back up again? And you, you talked about your dad um, or f- family pretty much being in reenacting. What uh, what area of expertise was your family in?
2: Uh, they started out doing French and Indian War reenacting, which in the late 80s and all through almost the early 2000s, it was a big deal here in Wisconsin and all throughout the Midwest. Um Wisconsin was, at one point, part of France. Okay. So there was French. Here we go. All right.
0: Oh, this is taking me back to, like, I think it was fifth grade. We actually talked about this. because sure, sure. with, with Nicolet, Jean Nicolet. Okay. Up yeah. in Green Bay.
2: So, yeah, it's it's a, if you really dive into the history of Wisconsin, our origins start with France. Okay. And uh, as far as European, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, history. Um, and the F- French had been here since... The six, late 1600s. Okay, um, in the Wisconsin area. In the in the Wisconsin area, mainly up near Green Bay. Okay, so there was a, a fur trading post there. There was a, a French fort there at one time, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people in northern Wisconsin and around the metro Green Bay area actually are descendants of a lot of French Canadians. Amazing. Um, that were here at that time. Wow. So that's how that's how my dad and my mom got interested in French ninny wearing acting. reenacting. was based off of the French history here. Okay. So. Okay.
1: Wow. So then you uh kind of followed along and so as a baby basically, 2 years old. Basically, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You're just walking, you know. So did they have you all dressed up and Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we
2: have had the correct clothes and um which which is a which is a, a big deal because there's there's two sides to reenacting. Okay. Uh, what what we consider the progressive side, which is what I fall under, and then we call what, what's the mainstream side, and okay. there's a difference. But uh, to elaborate a little bit more on that, our clothing is all hand-sewn okay. as it would have been done in the 18th century, and everything that we have is documented off of an original garment
3: mm-hmm.
2: or – based off of like old paintings or pictures because not everything survives from that time period so we do the best that we can but everything we strive to be as authentic as possible with our clothes and everything down to what we eat and where we sleep so that's that's what the progressive side is now the, the mainstream side which is perfectly fine um, it's more of a, uh, like a theme camping type weekend. So okay. reenactors will come out with their tents and they might have sleeping bags or cots or sure, cooler sure. and stuff like that. But what we do is we'll actually find salt pork or salt beef, um, or raw beef, and then we'll cook it there and eat it and issue it out as they would have done back then. Um, stuff like that. So
0: that's really cool. So, like, I, I'm gonna put my tinfoil hat on for a second. Go for it. Uh, so, like, when when we're thinking, like, you got the preppers out there. Like, you're probably like, you could easily do that, no problem. You like, you've already got those skills.
2: I think so, but I've never been in a situation that's been longer than four days. Okay, <laughs> so still that's longer than I'd last.
3: <laughs> wow. So...
1: I so growing up again, I uh, my brothers, my mom, and uh, brothers and I, we would go to Civil War, mostly Civil War reenactments, all the time. Sure. Um between the Pioneer Village, uh, Wade House around here, you know, and just different areas, we loved it. We ate it up. We could not get enough of that. You know, the cannons mm-hmm. boom and it, your sure. chest feels it. You know, and. Uh, for a while, I wanted to be a reenactor. I bought a hat, sure. you know, from uh, the Union, of course. Um, and uh, I have a stool, like a handmade stool, sure. <laughs> that I bought too. But that's as far as I've gone. Now, for you, you're you're literally making your own clothes.
2: Uh,
1: yes, I no. can't sew. Okay, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I've
2: tried. However, um, there are peep- tailors and seamstresses out there that actually do this for a living. Okay, Mm. And you can either, they'll commission something for you. Um, However, in our specific unit, um, we do have several individuals that sew clothes for our members. Okay. So that's usually the route I go. Great. um, Because it's, I just am not talented with a needle and thread. Yeah, and that's okay.
3: (laughs) So
0: like about how many outfits do you have?
2: Over, currently, I would say maybe 15, wow. but over the years, I've had as many as probably 20, 25, 30. Wow. So
0: Describe to me your favorite one.
2: I would say my continental uniform, which we call a blue-faced red coat, and basically what it is is picture of, um, like a tux coat, mm-hmm. like for a wedding mm-hmm. or something yep. like that with, with long skirts. Yep. The body itself would be a navy blue and then your collars, your cuff, and then your lapels would be a, a red color. Okay. Shark. So in in the eighteenth century when people deserted the army, the officers in those companies or those regiments would list an ad in the local paper and they would say, William Pratz deserted on this day. He was five foot five and he he wore a blue faced red coat. Okay. So, so I can get into all like a lot of what we do is based off of primary sources and this deserter ad is what we would consider a primary source, something that was written during the time, not something that's just well, it might have happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if we have that source and we know exactly what that guy was wearing and was part of that regiment at that specific time, mm-hmm. the indi- the idea is that the majority of that regiment was wearing that. Okay. So, um, which I can get into later because this this is a long road to go down. Well, I like
3: camp. it. Let's go. <laughs> I, I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to
1: back up again. So, you were you, French and Indian correct? Uh, war um, or, you know, time frame, that type of thing. Um, and then when did you decide or, or what was your – I mean, when you branched off, you know, when, when did you kind of go down your own path?
2: So, in <clears> – <throat> I did French Indian War up until about 2004, 2005, and then I took a, I took a long break, actually. Okay. Um, I started my own family, bought a house. Uh, working on the farm was took a lot of time. I hardly yeah. had any time yeah. off. Um, however, my passion for history never really died, sure. So, and I wanted to get back into it. So in about 2013, 2014, I just said, you know what, I'm going to do it again. Mm -hmm. we're going to do this perfect um but at that time the french and indian war hobby was in in a way it was dying off okay um there was not a lot of events being hosted anymore um a lot of people were just getting out of it Mm -hmm. there wasn't enough young people coming in so the that period of history kind of tapered off Mm. um is that normal for like you know different it can come in it can come in waves okay um so for, for the French Indian war stuff, even still today, it's relatively small. There just isn't a lot of interest in it. Um, but at the time around that time, 2013, 2014, uh, a friend of mine asked if I'd be interested in getting into revolutionary war. And at okay. first I was like, man, eh, I'm not sure, yeah, you know, yeah. but I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the plunge. And, uh, I put my first kit together and my first event i believe was in 2014 for revolutionary war but okay. I, I joined a, a unit as just a member okay so i was just you know somebody that showed up as a participant hmm. it wasn't until about 3 years ago that i took initiative and started doing r- running my own unit and running running our own events all so right so let's
1: let's back up <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're talking about units and you know you made your own kits and all the things Break it all down. Uh, so you, you, there are units that you can just sign. Like if I were to want to do this, I just go online and look up Revolutionary War units, or how does this work?
2: You, you could. Uh, well, since social media has taken taken pretty much over in the last five to six years, yeah. Um, Facebook and places like that are huge for the reenacting community for okay. for to get information out there. So if you were to go. On Facebook let's say And then you would type in Revolutionary War reenactments You would come up with different groups Uh um, Facebook groups And a lot of them are public So new people who are interested can join Okay And we get this all the time People go in there and say Hey I live in the Midwest I'm looking for a unit Um, And then boom 50 people comment Well there's these people based out of here There's this group based out of here And then that individual then can If they wish They can reach out to those people
3: Okay
2: Um and stuff like that. But the overall picture is <clears throat> there there's basically several organizations nationwide that are what we call umbrella organizations. Okay. And if you decide, well, I want to join a unit, most 99% of the time that unit is going to be part of one of these umbrella organizations. Okay. So you have to pay dues, then you have to pay, you have to go through a whole process of joining the umbrella group and it, it, it can get complicated okay. i mean it, yeah. it it's it's there's nothing wrong with it it yeah, just yeah. can be complicated mm-hmm. um, but i didn't want to do that route i don't like following people i like okay. to do my own thing you sound like an american so <laughs> so i said i said i want to do my own thing uh-huh. i'm just gonna start my own unit wow so i did okay. we, my buddy and mine uh, we started our group in 2020 mm-hmm. and uh we call ourselves the Yankee Peas mess. Now, what I go on, <laughs> so I can so Yankee Peas is actually a period term that was used during the Revolutionary War by the British for Americans loading their muskets with buckshot. Okay. So, in the British Army, it was typical for to to just load one. Musket ball down mm-hmm. their barrel, mm-hmm. but Americans right like, now, nah, man, we're gonna yeah. load one musket ball <laughs> and load three little ones <laughs> down there too, and Sounds so bas- right. basically yeah. came out like a, a modern-day shotgun, if you will. Yeah. So the British started calling that Yankee Peas, as in multiple bullets. Okay. Mm-hmm. So coming out. So <clears throat> I'm gonna step back a little bit. So, like I mentioned before about these umbrella organizations, mm-hmm. one of the main rules to join these umbrella organizations is you have to support or you, you have to join as a group that actually existed during the war. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So for example, if you wanted to do the first Virginia, Mm -hmm. you could do that. You have to provide documentation for that unit and then you have to submit that. But then every event that you go to, you have to do the first Virginia. I didn't like that either. Yeah. 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 Mm So, what we we decided to call ourselves the Yankee Peas, with the mission being every single event that we do at all these different historic sites that we reach out to, mm-hmm. we do an impression based off of that site. So, we never do the same thing once. Okay. Or or, or again. Yeah. If you know
1: what I mean? So, like, you're talking about certain battles that happened or like certain areas of the country that you go to, something that happened there?
2: Correct. So. Okay. I'll give you an example of this year. Um, We hosted, our unit itself hosted an event at a fort called Fort Roberto in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Okay. And I did all the research, reading all the primary documents, all the original letters, uh, the original returns that existed uh, for what these guys were issued and what they were wearing and stuff. And it basically was, that fort was garrisoned by militia. Okay. which is just a civilian citizen yeah. soldier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, we're talking
1: like uh, what's the movie with um, the Patriot the, the Patriot yeah so so like that ish
2: <laughs> So what yeah so they were depicting militia okay. so basic civilian clothes with a few military accoutrements and stuff like that yeah um, so for that event um, we did we portrayed militia Pennsylvania militia um, but this upcoming year, we have locked in an event at valley forge national historic park that's a if, big one if that sounds important yeah so it was actually it it was pretty the winner at camp it's pre- like the holy grail of Rev Wars okay
0: okay yeah so,
2: <laughs> that and, sounds about right and it the significance behind valley forge is that's where the american army really became unified sure and um so to get into a federal national park um I've been working on this for o- almost a year now okay. just to get in mm-hmm. yeah, to the yeah. park. Um so for for that event we're portraying a regiment that was called the 2nd Virginia State Regiment. Okay. And in order to do this program properly, we want to know and we want we want to know exactly what these guys were wearing, what their story was. So I I dived into archives mm-hmm. and old newspapers and old deserter ads and stuff like that and i found s- little tidbits of, mm-hmm. of something here something over there and then you have to put that stuff together um, because every site is going to ask well what do you want to do yeah well i want to do this okay give me a proposal support it with documentation and then we'll go from there so this particular regiment was wearing a blue face red coat like I was describing before. Okay. Mm-hmm. So every, so for that event, we'll do a second Virginia State wearing blue face red coats because that's what we know they were wearing. Yeah. But at, like, Fort Roberto, they didn't have blue face red coats there. There's no documentation to prove it. So I guess to, to explain further what I'm getting at is every event that we do, we do a different impression based off of the documentation that exists for that impression. That's amazing.
0: So do you, like, so, when you're doing all of that research and stuff, if you come across, like, any names in particular that keep coming up, does one of you from your group, like, kind of take on that and, and try to be that person then?
2: Um, so sometimes yes, sometimes no. It depends on the situation. Um, I do probably 90% of the research um, for for our units. I'm kind of like the spokes- spokesperson for You're the historian. Ba- and the basically, yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm the okay. one that reaches out to these sites. I'm the one that does all the behind-the-scenes work with the directors and the um, the government. The, like, well, for Valley Forge, it's a government site. Wow. You know? So all the permits, all the insurance paperwork, um, stuff like that, I take care of. Okay. And I do most of the research myself as well. Um, however, as far as taking on a persona, we have done that um but it's not like a make or break for us okay, okay. We're, we're more there to we, we want to give recognition to these sites in a because most of the generations nowadays it seems like aren't really interested in history and we're trying to bring that back yeah okay. so
1: well and that's why i'm just i'm in awe of what you're doing here right now so yeah. in terms of the event itself um, you, you already, you, I mean, you're setting up camp, I I assume, you know, and you could tell me, obviously, I'm just going to try and spit. Sure. Ball. Now, do you have to bring in, um, a George Washington type nope. person? Nope. No. Nope. Okay. Nope. Like, and then two, like, where's the British in all this? Are, are do you call up, you know, so <laughs> British reenactors? And- <laughs> at, well,
2: at, well, it depends on the scenario. Okay. okay. Um, I would say 90% of what we do are strictly one-sided living histories. Okay, got it. Or, or what we consider an immersion event. So w- what I consider an immersion event is, I'll, I'll go back to Fort Roberto that we hosted in June of this year mm-hmm. for an example. Um, we know that militia garrisoned the fort and we know that there were some other uh, ranger-type units in the area too was which rangers back then were basically really skilled frontiersmen. Okay, they were well acquainted with woods warfare and tracking and stuff like that. Mm. Um, the only, the only documented battle that ever happened there was uh, a few Native Americans that were allied to the British and a few loyalists that were allied to the British were trying to attack the fort, but it just never happened. So, mm. um, so what? We, what I so to get into a, like an immersion feel. Um, we started the event at Friday at 5 p.m. Okay. And we went all through the night with guards, guarding the fort, stuff like that. And up until these events, we have Facebook pages and then I post what I call background posts. Okay. And these posts are basically talking about what happened at these sites during that time frame. And to get the guys kind of, like, worked up, like, okay, this is really cool. This is going to be exciting. Yeah. And we, I made a bunch of posts about how loyalists and Native Americans in the area were constantly probing American settlements yeah. and stuff like that. So, and I made I made one comment that said, never expect to be alone on the frontier. <laughs> yeah. So, people went into this event thinking, is something going to happen or is something not going to happen? Mm. So, so they don't even know. They, nobody knows. It was all kept secret. Yeah. So the, the point of immersion authentic events is you go into this knowing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so because if you knew what you were, if you knew what was going to happen, mm-hmm. you wouldn't get that thrill. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't get those people to come to your next event because yeah. everything is going to. Well, this is just going to be the same old, same old. Again. Yeah. So we started the event at five. Um, just like normal, we, we issued food. Uh, we, we did what the military would have done at that time. They were all garrisoned. They, we all had bunks and cabins, mm-hmm. um, which was originally what those guys did, slept in. And then <clears throat> around 8, 9 p.m., just as the sun was going down, is when the, when the Loyalists and the British and the Native Americans attacked us. And I got it I got it on video. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> and um, the looks on the garrison's face uh-huh. was like, oh, my God. Like, they weren't expecting it. Game time. Because we had started at 5, so four, hour, four or five hours had gone by and nothing had happened. Yeah, yeah. And then, boom, they're attacked. So did they, like,
1: react as
2: though they were – Yep. You know, That's yep. amazing. Yep. I got it all on video. It's pretty cool. So, oh. like, um,
0: when, when you say the garrison, are you, like, are these – people like joe and i just showing up and we're in like plain clothes or are we other people that are dressing up or is these your members these
2: are our members so okay. all of our all of our hosted events so are, p- are private your
0: people didn't even know that Correct. you were doing that and we
2: we had been planning this for two years <laughs> <Devious>. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: so out of your group you did have some loyalists and as well
2: we it, it's a brother group of ours oh okay so okay. um that that portray yeah. loyalists and um native americans and we had separate communication yeah with them and then also a separate communication with the with our group Uh amazing
1: so like kind of piggybacking off what kayla said do you guys ever you said this is a private event but do you ever do events to where there are people actually watching like yes yeah
2: so the 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 two programs that we have coming up in 2023 these are public living histories. Okay. So Valley Forge that we're going to in May, and then we also have another event in October, which will both be public living histories. Okay. okay. So we're, we'll, those will be setting up a m- military camp. Um, we'll be doing military drills, f- food rations, and some other things, too, that sure, will sure. be in the works, and that will all be in front of the public or the guests, like mm. we call them. Okay. Mm. So...
1: Well, I'm over here like I don't want to ask too many questions because there may be some hiding up his sleeve over here, you know. <laughs> yeah. A couple loyalists popping in or something. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. So, let's say, let's say we've got some members of Johnsonville who want to try this out. How would you suggest that they get started?
2: Well, I would honestly. We have so much loner gear that I would say just come out with this one weekend and just try it. Okay. You know it's. You don't have to. Th- th- don't look at me, Kayla. Because
0: <laughs> no, Joe, I I, I hear my issue. I issue a challenge that you go out there and you do this.
1: I'm all about it, but don't forget I have a family, and you know I can't be going off to war. This
2: is this is you a kidding? great educational experience I, 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 for I your agree. kids. All
1: right, we'll we'll think about that. So, anyways, you you keep going, keep going. <laughs>
2: um, that what what tends to scare most people away is the cost. of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but it's with any hobby, the startup cost is going to be, you know.
1: And where are yeah. we living? in terms of cost just so we can get that fear factor out of the way
2: in in order to get a basic kit that would get you by you're looking at two grand okay
0: and how many like what what's all in this yeah what's a
1: basic kit
2: um well you you, the main thing is going to be your musket okay Mm -hmm. yeah so that's going to be at least a thousand dollars right there right off the bat Mm -hmm. and then um your basic kit would be your shoes a pair of stockings Breeches or trousers, a shirt, coat, and a hat. Okay. Okay. Basically, but what here's the thing is, is because it's all hand sewn. Yeah. Mm That's where that's where the cost comes in because of the cost of labor.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Yep, that makes sense. Okay. I got a Renfair dress coming, and that was like seven (laughs) hundred. Yep.
2: yep. Wow. Okay. So the and the materials, it always seems that every year the materials go up. Uh, So for wool or linen or Mm -hmm. anything mm -hmm. like that. Mm-hmm.
0: And to try to get it that authentic texture and everything, you right. know, it's not like the smooth stuff that we're wearing here right. today. Yeah.
2: So I just, f- to put it in perspective, I just bought a new coat last week mm-hmm. that was $700 okay. a coat. All right. <laughs> so, yep. but, but you can, I mean, there's different ends. Uh-huh. I mean, you can get one that's a little bit more inferior, but still authentic, or you can go the more expensive route and get yeah. better materials too. It, it all depends on what you want, but we have very strict guidelines um, no facial hair is allowed because in the 18th century being bearded was actually considered poor form. Really? Um, so like what I have right now, this little stubble, uh-huh. this would have been considered poor form in the 18th century. Hmm. Right, I'm out. So yeah, you yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I mean, bad we, form, we, we, form. we, we take that extra step Yeah. because in our, my opinion and the rest of our group is if we're going to be teaching history, uh, uh-huh why not teach it correctly or at least to the best of our knowledge? And if you're going going out there with machine-sewn clothes or guys that are having beards down to their chest, it's just if you look at original paintings and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you you just don't see that. And Mm -hmm. if you read a lot of George Washington, for example, a lot of his general orders to the Continental Army say specifically clean-shaven.
1: Shave your face. <laughs> basically, yeah. so.
0: No shave November,
2: not a thing. Yeah.
1: Love GW. <laughs> <So like laughs> keep your but face yeah. clean. So I'm also seeing you got a little bit of a ponytail. yeah, or, or some type of... So th- right?
2: this would have been... Ponytail is more of a modern term. Oh, okay. But uh, th- this was basically... In the 18th century, if it was braided, it would have been called a Q. Okay. Um, but if you read descriptions of the period, basically... They say this man wore his hair tied behind. Okay, that's how they would word it. That,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so long way to say ponytail. Basically, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: But that th- sounds more manly. That's kind of <laughs> what, if you can picture what I mean by our guidelines. I mean, we want to look the part. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So mm-hmm. I've done several film shoots over the years I've done That's right. You, well, yeah, yeah, you brought
0: that. Sorry. What what it, what
2: movie? Yeah, prior to <laughs> I don't know if he could tell us that. I can't say anything yeah, yeah. about movie stuff. So, like, it's not released yet? It's not released yet. So, in
1: terms though of so you're obviously doing what you've just described, but what else have you done? You know? I off mic we were talking a little bit, but you know, you're talking movies. You were talking filming in general and things like that so
2: we've i've been a part of several documentaries over the years um i've been in a few short films that have that have premiered at uh, film festivals all across the country Mm -hmm. Uh, and the most recent one i did three weeks ago was a film for a national park it for the basically it's the opening movie for their visitor center. Sure. So okay. as if you go to said park and then you sit down in their auditorium, they, they have the movie playing, And then that's what, that's what this specific one was. I yeah. can't say anything yeah, about yeah, it. No, no, no. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so if
1: once it's released though, you can come back on. Yes. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So y- y- was your group specifically sought out or are you requesting to get into these things?
2: Our, I believe this for this particular film shoot, we our group was reached out to. Wow. And then we had to submit um, an application. Yeah. Um, and then we also had to submit a photo. Uh-huh. So of, where, a recent photo.
1: Exactly. What part of Wisconsin are you guys based out of? Or or like where's your home base?
2: Well, I live in Sheboygan. Yeah. And the my friend Tanner who who I consider my right hand man? He's the one that started the group with me. He lives in Warsaw. Okay. So we are headquartered in Wisconsin.
1: That's it. Yeah. But that's it. Okay. We
2: have forty members ranging from the Midwest all the way to New England, all the way down to um, the Carolinas, mm-hmm. and pretty much all in between. Yeah. We yeah, got yeah. members. We have Yankee Peas members that um, are basically we we have two in Utah. <laughs> wow. that fly out so, <laughs> so
1: cool. are you guys growing i mean
2: we grow every yeah it since we started the, the group with three people okay and, wow. in and that
0: was only in 2020 so like two 2020.
1: years and they're up to 40 yeah that's amazing the,
2: the, it's all it's all about it, in this hobby it's all about working together with other groups okay, mm-hmm. okay. so if you're if you're gonna go out there and just kind of like no we're gonna do our own thing and and just Have the ten of us do this? That's not how you're going to get people. Okay, you want to open it up to other progressive groups. Okay, and be like, hey, you support us, we support you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's basically how there's a lot in the in the reenacting community. There's a lot of sectionalism. Okay, so oh well, we're based in New England, we're just going to stay in New
3: England. Hmm.
2: We're based in the Midwest, we're just going to stay in the Midwest. Our, we don't think that way. Okay. We don't we don't care about traveling. Yeah, yeah. It's if you got something cool going on, we'll support you, and then we'll invite you to our stuff. If yeah. you can support us, great. If you can't, that's cool too. Wow. So,
1: so you said you have a family. Correct. How are they doing with it?
2: Well, uh, well. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> do you make them dress up too? Like, you no, did as a kid? I t- I
2: tried to get them involved, but yeah. they're not they're not interested. Okay, okay. <laughs> but um, I n- none of my kids either really care for it in fact probably five or six years ago we went to one and there was a battle there and i took a hit and pretended like i was dead and i like traumatized my son so oh my yeah so you know but at least you know you're loved (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly so yeah so that was like a local event that we did just to just to kind of get recruits and Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. knowing that we're around so so in terms of like
1: um I think what a lot of people think about when they think of reenactments is those battles, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so are there groups in America here who are like, no, I just, I just do red coat stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. Really? Yep.
2: There are guys out there that just do British and, or just do continental or anything like that. Um, our group mainly does continental. Mm -hmm. Um, we, and, or militia. Yeah. Um, occasionally we'll do loyalist stuff, but, the The thing with Revolutionary War is is the uniforms are so specific, okay. Mm-hmm. So for the British, um, each regiment had a different coat. Oh wow. It was generally a red coat, yeah. but the facings, the lace, the buttons were all different. My so goodness. you you could not have you cannot have just a generic coat mm-hmm. for British, okay. So it's a little harder for. Those that's why when the British guys are like nope we're just doing this because they don't want to fork out a thousand dollars. I suppose $1. yeah, it, it yeah. makes
1: total sense. You know, so
2: that's that's why continental is a little bit more easy, um, because you can have several coats and then you'd be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. for a lot of different things. Right, but
1: so in uh, your line of work, um, do you see it ever where? someone's like oh i do revolutionary and civil war or i you know oh yeah oh really? there's a lot
2: of crossover okay yeah okay i also do civil war as well oh really
1: okay yeah. is that just as expensive yes oh my gosh <laughs> so, i'm like trying to find a loophole somewhere where i can totally do this but
2: <laughs> i don't do civil war as much Revol, 18th century stuff is my main focus okay so wow but huh
0: And is that more by, like, your choice? Like, that's where your interests lie, or is that...
2: Yep, that's my choice, Okay.
0: Want to make a plug for an upcoming event in the area or anything that you think Um, people should check out?
2: Well, we we do do a lot of programs at Heritage Hill in Green Bay, if you're familiar with that. Yep. There's a fur trade cabin there that actually is an original fur trade cabin to the Green Bay area, and we do one or two small living, living histories up there every year in fact well, i'm going up there on saturday to do one oh wow okay. um but but yeah i would say that's next year's. there's nothing set in stone for next year yet but if you could you ask me in, in several months will probably be something Great. so we're all we're working on stuff for 2024 already okay. how many
0: events so, do you usually do a year
2: i would say eight to ten
0: and you mentioned before that you're doing a lot of research, digging into to make sure everything's accurate as possible. Obviously, Valley Forge is probably going to be more right. <laughs> effort into it, given the scale. But on average, what's the what's your timeline? How much hours of research do you put into each event?
2: Well, oh boy, each event. It, it, it's almost like a full time job. <laughs> I would say at least on average, I put in 10 hours a week researching.
3: Wow.
1: I, I'm sitting here like, oh, we're we're holding him back from doing his research. No, you it's know? fine. <laughs> 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 oh wow, that's this that's is...
2: what I do right before I go to bed. So. Oh, okay, all right, <laughs> yeah, it calms you down.
1: Yeah, yeah, good. Um, so let's say someone wanted to um you know help you guys out or come out and see it what is the best way to do it? you you talked about facebook but is there any other way that you know maybe give financially or you know just come and see your event or get involved in in general
2: i would say i mean even if you didn't want to come a, come as a participant reach out to me and i can get you information come out and at least observe it okay um you know it's it it, it is a unique hobby yeah um but I just want to forewarn we when we're at these things it's it's exactly like how these guys would have lived.
1: So you're in character the whole time.
2: At some events yes, some events no. Okay. So right. but um what, what 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 we call in character is what's called first person okay. in in the hobby. And basically you take on a persona and you can talk about nothing modern. You can talk mm. no mm. modern dialect or anything like that. But the people.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa! I'm going to stop you right there. Here we go. The, the
2: modern dialect. So,
0: what do you sound like when you're doing one of these reenactments?
2: Well, for me, it's really hard because my accent is so bad for me from Wisconsin. So I just don't even try. Aww. <laughs> but, but well, like, I, what
1: accent would you have?
2: Well, nobody really knows. And I guess I sh- I should clarify that, like. like D- don't use twenty twenty first century words. Got it. Got it. Okay. I guess I should, mm-hmm. I should have specified that more, but because nobody, like nobody, truly knows because there were no recordings then yeah, mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. what these guys sounded like. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, accents change over time everywhere. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, but I just know from personal experience that a lot of people have trouble understanding our accent here, so I just <laughs> don't try.
1: So. so you when you're out though uh doing your events people are like oh you're from wisconsin or, or what uh, a lot
2: a lot of people think minnesota because okay. of like the fargo movies or stuff like that that makes but, sense yeah um
1: and you're like have you ever seen the up of michigan <laughs> right,
3: right well it,
2: it it's it's hard to I, I don't know like a lot of people they they think it's funny because we they say we sound nasally up here but yeah, but uh, I mean, we just
1: make things long, you yeah. know. We
2: just, Big, yeah, we
1: just like to put it back there, right, right up in our nose, <laughs> you know.
2: So yeah, there's there's a lot of joking and stuff, like but it's all in good fun. I mean, yeah, of that, course, because mm-hmm. we work with a lot of Southern groups um, for Revolutionary War and as if they don't
1: have a strong accent. Well, right, sign,
2: right? You know? so, <laughs> right, but um i i all all of our brother units all over the country we have really great relationships where it's it's like a family Mm -hmm. so we just kind of like poke fun at each other and you know just kind of go with it yeah that's awesome
1: so your next event then is at valley forge right
2: our next hosted event okay all right So so where's your next event our next event is the january 6th through 8th in richmond virginia and it's uh, that's 2023. just correct.
1: In case someone's listening to this in like five years, from right? Now or 2023. Something, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
2: okay. we're a brother unit of ours is hosting an event. Okay. There yeah. and because they've supported us many times, we're gonna go there and support them because that's 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 how we think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like mm-hmm. you support us, we support you. Right, right. We keep things good.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. Is that a public or private event?
2: This will be. It, it'll be private. Yeah. Okay. This I had to think there because there's. There's another one coming up in February, too. So I've got, I'm working on like six events at once right now. That's awesome. So that's amazing.
1: And, well, and that's kind of, I, I wanted to get this out there, so if anybody wanted to get on an airplane and go check out what you're oh, doing. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, we don't,
2: like, I want to make it clear, we don't do a lot of stuff in the Midwest because the Revolutionary War really didn't happen. There, I mean, there are some stuff that was going on in the Midwest. Okay. But, um, and we do have things in the works for that. Ah. Um, for future years. Uh, there you were heard s-
1: it here first, folks. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> there, there, there was some involvement in Illinois and Indiana and Ohio. Okay. Um, so we're working with some sites right now, like just the beginning steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get yeah. our foot in the door. Um, but 90% of what we do is all on the East Coast, which is where the yeah. majority of the war sure. happened. Mm-hmm. That makes so sense. So if you wanted to come... I've been trying to get several of the coworkers down on the line to try and come, but they're. I think the the cost is what. Well, of course, what gets know. them. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: So okay, remind us again you, the the name of your. What do you call it? A, our a, our
2: revolutionary war group is called the Yankee Peas.
1: Okay, Yankee Peas, and mostly you can be found on Facebook. Correct. Right? Okay. Yep. Yankee Peas. If you
2: type mess. in Yankee Peas mess, you should come up on. Our public page
0: now is it just the letter p or is it peas like the
2: vegetable like the vegetable
0: okay
1: that makes way more sense to me now i was just thinking that the the british were yeah absolutely i was thinking the british were just really weird but uh, Mm um which they are but anyways (laughs) but but
0: not but now that we're talking about peas and and joe's got an open container of summer sausage and cheese and it's making me hungry sorry (laughs) you were talking about when you're doing these events that you're actually eating like the same stuff that they would so like what's something that when you're doing an event, like you get super excited, like, yes, we're going to have this tonight. And what's something that you're like, oh, crap, we're
2: having well, this. B- after doing this 30 years, I don't get excited at all about the food anymore. <laughs> but, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but there are people that do get excited. Um, so I would say most of the time we issue fresh beef or it'll be some type of slab bacon. And actually, I want to give a shout out to the Howard's Grove Meat Market in Howard's Grove because that's where I get all of our slab bacon. Nice, and it's uh, top quality, good okay. Yeah, but um, we so we'll we'll actually buy thirty, forty, fifty pounds of either beef or salt pork or slab bacon. And we'll, we'll buy it from these butcher shops that will do raw cuts for us mm. mm-hmm. because back then, yeah, you, you know, did. nothing was pristine. You didn't have sliced bacon, you yeah, know, you yeah. didn't have anything like that. Um, but depending on the scenario, we know, um, if either fresh beef was available or pork was available, um, if it's in season specific vegetables that would have been harvested at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah like for right like right now if we were to do an event we could have a lot of root vegetables mm-hmm. because they would have been harvested by now yeah stuff like that but um, a lot of people a lot of people get excited about the bacon if you well, yeah, it, yeah it's if,
3: bacon <laughs> i
2: don't
1: think that's reenactor yeah. specific <laughs> so yeah.
2: that's that's probably if somebody shows up to cuz they don't even guys kind of come to our stuff they don't even know what they're getting for food really so the, everything is they're, they're coming into these events completely blind hmm. and so if we if we roll out 30 pounds of bacon they're <laughs> yeah. people are going to be happy <laughs> so if you if i come out there with 30 pounds of salt pork they're not going to be happy yeah. or salted fish
0: yeah d- describe oh, the, these salted meats to me because like i'm so not I'm basic, thinking like prosciutto uh like a prosciutto or something like but obviously
2: one one of the main forms of preserving food in the 18th century was salting it Mm -hmm. and what they what they would do is they'd have these long or these huge barrels and they'd they'd salt the meat and then they'd basically throw it in the barrel and lock it up and then that salt would preserve it for x amount of time and then when these barrels came to the army they were issued out through the quartermaster And then each company would get X amount of pounds of this or that or anything like that. Yeah. And then when, when you, when you get the meat itself and it's just covered in salt, if you ate, it it would just taste awful. (laughs) So what, what we'll do is you have to pre-soak it for, for X amount of time to get kind of that salt flavor out, but it's still terrible Mm -hmm. after that. Um, One example, I did an event in 2019, where we got issued salt fish Hello. and it was just i just i'll tell you this i couldn't wait for that cheeseburger on sunday <laughs> so the
1: face he's making right now <laughs> ladies and gentlemen is is one of just pure disgust so,
2: so but it, that you know they ate what they got and mm-hmm. we try to replicate that as best we can
1: that's amazing so are there a lot of groups like you where you just want to be as purest as possible
2: yes okay all right they're they're out there they're just not as popular as the more mainstream uh community Mm -hmm. that
0: makes sense because there's a lot of people who don't want to put in all of that effort to make sure that it is something like they want to celebrate it and recognize it get it out there so it's accessible but not put in the level of detail that you guys are doing it sounds awesome what you guys are doing yeah because
2: the phones stay in the car The only thing modern that we allow people to have is uh, medications Mm -hmm. or anything like that Mm -hmm. or their car key Mm -hmm. (laughs) so they can get back to their car. But um, we've done events where we've literally been in the woods for three, four days, several miles away from the parking lot, Mm. and you, you literally don't know where you are we do cuz yeah. we run the event sure, sure. <laughs> but uh-huh. but the our guests yeah our our members that come into these events blind that's that's where the immersion word comes in okay. you want to feel like you were there mm-hmm. Wow. even if it's just for a split second i've had people tell me that i had one second of an immersive feel and that's what made the weekend for me really? and that that makes me happy because then i feel like all this work has paid off Mm -hmm. that these people are enjoying themselves because these people are taking times away from their family they're taking pto Mm -hmm. they're coming to our stuff Mm -hmm. you know why not make it the best that you can make it
1: Yeah. yeah wow so what's uh what's next for you just keep on keeping on or you got bigger plans coming up or well
2: the the 250th anniversary of the american revolution starts in 2025 so this is, this <laughs> sounds really important. This is just the beginning.
1: Oh boy. Oh.
0: <laughs> are we going to, are we going to see you around the plant in 2025? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, if, if it wasn't for Johnsonville, I would not be able to do nearly as much as I'm doing. That's I'm good. very thankful for, um, being able to be employed here so I can have the opportunity to do this stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, and you can tell that uh, the people that you work with are excited for you too. The moment I sent out like the all call message to the the company saying, "Hey, we're looking for guests," your coach Corey Zorn, who also did one of these episodes years ago, mm-hmm. he was like, "Dude, I got a guy! I got a guy! You're gonna yeah, want to talk that's to this cool. guy." <laughs> so, <laughs> that's cool. so I am thrilled to have you on. And honestly, you can come on anytime. Sure. And tell yeah, us, this you know this
2: is just the tip of the iceberg. Great, great. So.
1: We should we should get a bus. You know, or yeah. just a group of us to go on. What would it take to get your company here and just, you know, run through some some drills right here in the...
0: Forget the drills, Joe. I want the food. I want to try this nasty what? salt meat, not the fish. Well, if, <laughs> I <the> mean,
2: <laughs> <laughs> we, could set, we could set something up. We do have about... Um, I'd have to look on the paper, but I believe we have about five to seven members that are just based here in Wisconsin. So if we were to plan something, I'd... We could probably make. We could probably do something
1: interesting. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there we'll we'll do some work on the <laughs> off mic. But um, wow, that's that's gonna be a lot of fun. Cool. Well, William, I seriously thank you so much for coming. You're on. welcome. Thank um, you. If if again, if you ever want to get a hold of us again, just let, just let me know, and and you can come on and talk about whatever you're working on next. Sure. Um, but in the meantime, if you wouldn't mind closing us out for today,
2: sure. This is William Protts, and you've been listening to another episode of Off the Clock, a podcast made the Johnsonville way.